Welcome to episode 52 of the Whiskey Topic. Uh, we got a pretty good show today. Um, I think so. We got two guests. What's going on here? What's going on? We're really popular now, just in case you didn't know. After episode 50, I think we just totally blew up, blew out of the water with that video. People started recognizing us on the streets and stuff. Whiskey, whiskey, the singer's getting sore. We raised the roof, now we're lowering the floor. The band is blistering, but we got a little more. Welcome to the Whiskey Topic, the weekly podcast that tends to get off topic. My name is Mark Bylock. I'm the author of The Whiskey Cabinet, and my co-host is Jamie Johnson, who runs a private but approachable bourbon club here in Toronto, Canada. You can also find our podcast on the website whiskey.buzz. <laughs> this is weird because Mark and I record over Skype, but we never do video because neither of us looks appropriate usually. Um, and this is the first time. It's very strange. Like, I almost don't want to look at my screen. Like, I don't know how to. I don't know. You're how being to distracted. Do. You're distracted. But it actually works too because I can sort of, like, it, I can see when you're about to say something. So I shut my mouth. So it's like an actual, having an actual conversation with you where we maybe don't interrupt each other as much. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> maybe. We can maybe. see. We can I see. Um, but we got our first doctor on the show. Yes, thank God. Somebody somebody who knows something about uh, being something. a doctor came on the show. Yeah. And he's great. And I'm so excited for people to hear what he has to say. Yeah, Dr. Tim Stockwell. He um, Apparently, he's getting a lot of flack because he uh, did a study sh- showing that all that all those uh, articles about how great booze is for you, not true. Um, so we're going to talk to him a little bit about it, get his perspective on all these studies about longevity and everything else. And we also have um, Ian Miller from Benfidic on the podcast. I've mentioned him a couple of times. He's the global brand ambassador, and he's moving into a new position. He's kind of retiring. So we're going to talk about him and, uh, and kind of his career as a global brand ambassador and some practical jokes he plays and everything else. <laughs> <laughs> whiskey practical jokes. Uh, I love his new his new title is prestige whiskey specialist, which I yeah. think is about the fanciest uh, title that you could ever ask for in the world. But we want to talk about it really briefly about um, a couple of words uh, came out this week, mm-hmm. uh, this week and last week. So the first one was the um, whiskey magazine named Old Putney, a special vintage 1989 is the best whiskey in the world. Hey. Uh, hey, good. You know, good on them. Uh, the whole story here is Scotch is back. People are liking Scotch. Oh, well, wouldn't it be great if Old Pulteney was the one to like bring them back at like from the from the retirement piece? Like, not something like the Macallan or something that's like right. you know, like to, like Old Pulteney's like it's a great Scotch. I I, I enjoy Old Pulteney, uh, but it's not quite as highbrow as something else you would think that you know. <laughs> right. That's but, I true. mean, 89 vintage, that's not too bad. That's not too bad. However, however, in the uh, World Spirits Awards at San Francisco, um, Fred Mittig did a post, kind of a preview of that. And there he's like, all the scotches entered were terrible. Uh, none of them were impressive. Um, and he picked the uh, Four Roses 2015 special release as the best whiskey. However, he's uh, saying that it's BS because Redbreast 21 actually beat uh, won the overall best whiskey in the world in that competition oh i mean it's wow it's really it's so these awards i mean other than our awards of course because i think those are very legitimate um 
But I think it's it's hard. It's apples to oranges, kind of. Like, I know that, you know, there's lots of stuff that goes into it, like balance and, and complexity and, and all the things, and you can and grade them. But, oh, my gosh, if I if I had to put a, an Irish whiskey up against a, a, a bourbon or a scotch, I think I'd have a lot of trouble. I, I do. All the judges at the in San Francisco basically um, – judged every whiskey is the best and they're like okay which is the best in show and it was basically a sign of hand and Fred made it seem like you know people were like he was like come on nobody else thinks the Four Roses won and people were like ah but it's a bourbon so they had the exact opposite response which was terrible interesting I know I know fascinating so interesting I mean yeah awards are so tricky though awards are like there, you're. I mean, you're never going to please anybody, everybody, no. and it's it's always there's always going to be an upset. Actually, I don't think I've ever heard uh, this award was handed out and people didn't get upset. Like I feel like that everybody would be weird agreed. if everybody agreed. was like, yes, a hundred percent, that is exactly the right answer. Like now, everyone's going to want to flip a table. I was watching um, the actual Westminster Dog Show, and I got really upset because that Annabelle the Bulldog didn't win Best in Show. And I got really emotionally invested in it. So I think people mm. do get, tend to get a little, um, they don't know, like, yeah, they're just like, what do you mean, Redbreast 21? Ugh. Like, <laughs> it's four roses all the way. Like, okay. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's good. I it's mean, art. it goes to show you all the variety of taste buds and, you know, and then, of course, how much these judging judge panels, uh, you know, who's on the panel matters. And, of course, what whiskeys enter, too, right? Because... Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for example, Gooderham won the best Canadian whiskey, but did La Forty get entered? Did Crown Royal enter North Harbor Survive? We don't, I mean, we'll, we'll find out once the full numbers are released next right. uh, in a couple of weeks, but, um, you know, um, I yeah. prefer our awards, Mark. I prefer our awards. I know. Awards. I agree. I know. They're hilarious. Uh, Jim, Beam Centauri is not, um, nor Diageo. They haven't approached us yet and officially thanked us for the award. I don't know what's going on there. I know. Come on. I know. I know. What the hell, Whoa. man? We're for serious. Those are real awards. Maybe we should send them a plaque, like one of those like oh certificates. <gasps> you yeah. know what we should do? You remember back in the day when you were in grade school and they used to print out like certificates off of like like I don't know, Microsoft Paint or something like that? We could yeah, totally yeah. we could totally do that and send it to them in like a cheap little frame. Put and, it in Matt pre- Jones' office. <laughs> <laughs> Pretend it's a big deal. Like, because, you know, you go walk around distillers, they'll have these little certificates posted everywhere. Like, you know, this person named this whiskey the best. Yeah, this is exactly yeah, yeah. what we should have. Yeah. Like, have it be, like, super pixelated and, like. <laughs> yes. Oh, I not love insulting it. I love at it, all. I love not it. We, we, this, is, this is plan B. This is what we got to do. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. And uh, aren't you off to Kentucky soon? I am in a couple of weeks. Yes, so doing uh, staying. <laughs> as Jamie swears. Um, <laughs> doing a couple of days in Lexington, and then the rest of the time in Louisville, and um, and of course doing the whole tour tasting thing there. Looking forward to it. Of course, it's gonna be great. I'm I'm devastated. It's okay. It's okay. September. We'll be back in September. Be back in September. That's right. Enjoy the interviews. Um, we'll put we'll put them back to back. Um, and everything else. So cheers. We'll talk to you next week. Cheers. I can't see you guys, but... Uh, uh, let me see if I can do video here. I'm not wearing any makeup. What? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> there you go. It must be late afternoon. It's about... <laughs> oh, there we go. Hi, Mark. Hello. How's it going, Tim? Good. Excellent, excellent. very handsome. 
I know we are. We're pretty good looking guys here. Oh yeah. And, and Jamie's, like had, you know, we sort of, well, I shaved a little, I mean, I don't know, Tim, you're not that uh, shaven there, but, but Jamie can't even put on makeup for us. I can't. I'm we, sorry. We don't need so much makeup, right? No, not at all. <laughs> you guys are way handsomer than I am. Pretty. Oh, that is not true. There's no truth to that whatsoever. This is a very good start to the interview. <laughs> But I, I think you have to go on video, Jamie. So. I was going to say, I think this is, oh, God. Okay, hold on one second. Right there. Right there. I've quoted this study many times, uh, the study where uh, it says that people that drink a little live longer than non-drinkers. And here you, you, you come out and you're like, ah, all those studies are BS. So that's what we wanted to talk to you about. Mark loves sure. to find a single study and then talk about it like it's the gospel and it proves all of his points right. So this is fun. This is going to be fun today. Because <laughs> you're the study that disproves every study I've quoted. I mean, that's it. That's amazing. Uh, I, I was told today I've made it as a – I'm a new Canadian and I'm told forget the citizenship ceremony. I was on 22 minutes as a, a butt of jokes. So they're calling on the government to remuzzle scientists is, is one of the things they say. <laughs> that's amazing. That's awesome. 22 minutes. That's a big deal. That's I know. Cool. I know. I'm very proud. I've been made yeah. a fool on 22 minutes. So for, for our American audience, that's basically like being on the Canadian version of The Daily Show, essentially. It's uh, yeah. yeah, not quite as popular, but. <laughs> I love this is Canada, right? Awesome. Oh, absolutely. You know, we don't do a great job at like going like, yeah, our TV is the best, even though we have great television here. We do. Uh, uh, but yeah, no, 22 minutes. That's a big deal. Yes. <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> I'll show it to my daughters uh, when we're off air to send, give it a bit of cred with them. But um, Yeah, for sure. I'm still their dad. But I'm still hugely embarrassing. But apart from that. <laughs> it... <laughs> well, because you're dads. basically... Um, I, I, so you're basically telling us not to drink anymore. Is that what you're saying? You're saying drinking is not good for us. That's a little. That's a little severe, Mark. <laughs> I think. I think it is severe. Well, look. If you take it at face value, what yeah. we've what we've found when we look at all the study, it's a wash. Mm -hmm. So that instead of saying that moderate drinking is going to make you live longer, so as well as enjoying a scotch, which I do occasionally, mm -hmm. I'm sorry, but it, if our results stand up. To the glare of scrutiny, we believe they do. Um, it just means that it's it's neutral. It's not doing you harm on balance. Yeah. Um, it's not doing you good either. Now, behind that, there could be a little bit of benefit for, for your heart mm -hmm. offset by risks of cancer. Right, so we're right. knowing more and more about the cancer risks, and there's no safe threshold. Sorry. So it could be they're cancelling out at the low levels. So there have been, um, a, correct me if I'm wrong, there have been 87 long-term studies done on alcohol and death rates. And all of these have found correlation. If you drink a little bit, you live longer. But you're saying all those studies were incorrect. No. Measured? no. Is that, did I get that wrong? I probably no, got that wrong. Not quite. I mean, it, it, not a little quite. bit of said right. So it, we did find 87 studies ever published, which... Mm -hmm. At, um, whether or not people died of any cause. There's hundreds that have looked at like diabetes or mm, heart gotcha. disease, strokes, but this is death from all causes. Mm -hmm. And we didn't find all of them found the J-shaped curve. When we analyzed them as a group, it's, it's called meta-analysis. So you've got all these individual studies. Some say this, some say that. So you, you put them all in a big, you know, um, hopper 
and you turn the handle and see what comes out as, as and you give more weight to the big studies. Yeah. So it's a study with, you know, a hundred thousand people and it's got very precise estimates that weighs more than a little study of 20 people that had right. big confidence intervals. And so, but some of them, um, and there's probably about 10 or 11 of those have show absolutely zero protection. They're out on the other, other end. And there's a good number, I don't know, it's 20 or so, 30, which are quite a close to being a wash. The majority are showing some benefits. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, one th- the thing to concentrate on is those benefits for these moderate drinkers up to two drinks a day are exactly the same compared with these abst- abstainers, however defined. If you're an occasional drinker, you get the same benefit. That's somebody drinking one drink a year up to less than one drink a week. So there's a problem here for the hypothesis. Before we go into, I've been accused of cherry picking. When we go any further and start getting rid of studies, ah, you're cherry picking. You don't like those studies. Ah, you've, you've taken out the wrong studies. Well, forget all that. Put them all in there. How is it that people who hardly drink anything, like homeopathic doses of alcohol, are getting the same benefit as the moderate drinkers? So that's the right. first challenge we put up there. We've done nothing, absolutely nothing. We've, we've found every single study published, and this is what they all say collectively. So what's been the, so what's been the flaw um, in sort of <laughs> consistently what has been the flaw that you've seen uh, that sort of led to these conclusions that maybe weren't so accurate? Well, look, there's at least 10 reasons we think to be sceptical, and we address only two or three of them in this paper. Mm -hmm. One is, and it's an old chestnut, people have looked at this and it's gone back and forth for quite a few years, is how do you define an abstainer? So everybody gets compared with an abstainer. Mm -hmm. Now, most of the studies have only got two questions on alcohol. They've got questions on exercise and how many carrots you eat and um, what, what, do you drink milk and everything is asked about. Um, and so they ask bad questions and they don't know if people were former drinkers. So um, they count anyone who's not been drinking, for example, in the last week. Some, some studies only ask about drinking in the last week, some about the last two days or three days. Everyone else not drinking is an abstainer. Now, we know... If you're, an abs- if you're a current abstainer, somebody who's used to drink but gave up, you then end up in the abstainer group. They tend to be unhealthy people. This is one of the, f- the biggest, clearest findings. Former drinkers are as unhealthy as heavy drinkers. Mm. Right. Um, mostly, and not just because of the alcohol, a lot of them were moderate drinkers. But as we age and as we get frail and have more health problems and get prescribed drugs a lot of old people are on five plus medications they're told to stop drinking mm. because there's adverse reactions and mm. we can plot this so over time what happens the abstainer group gets filled up with unhealthy people the moderate drinkers people are, the scientists are plucking out all the people who get unwell and they're made abstainers so over right. time, and we know with the older people that are studied, this appearance of protection is even greater, significantly larger in cohorts of people my age, over 60. Um, You get more pronounced apparent benefits. So that's just our working hypothesis. When we weed out the studies that don't do that, that's when, or we control for whether or not, in a big analysis, whether or not the studies do that, 
this protection begins to vanish until it disappears completely. Okay, interesting. So, so we were wrong, Jamie. I think that's what comes <laughs> well, down to. You know, well, not no, that we're you wrong. Know we I, just read stuff on the internet. Is well, what we do. <laughs> well, and I was actually that leads me to my next question, which I think is really interesting because of the, like the rise of social media and how people are sharing things now. I think that you know, clickbait is a huge thing. You have these attention-grabbing headlines. Study says drinking heavy drinking is great for you. You're gonna live till you're 300. Like you know, 350 year old lady lives forever because she always doesn't smoke and drink. And have and coffee. I Don't forget to, coffee. And coffee. <laughs> and I wonder if, if if you feel like that's kind of the bane of your existence, uh, is these clickbaity sort of junk science articles that everyone seems to be throwing around Facebook and Twitter and stuff like that and, you know, um, taking his gospel, Mark. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep, we me. We gather maybe at this point. <laughs> <laughs> Look, and I'm kind of with you. And then the media needs to make things anyway in black and white, regardless of the junk science being circulated. Anything that comes out, you need to fill space, time, copy, and it's it's stuff to write about. So you go with whatever the story is. So. In science, we have to live with that, and that's why in this information age, when there's hundreds of studies out there, we now have to do systematic reviews. You can't just write about it in, a, in an academic journal, peer-reviewed journal. You can't just say, well, I read this article, and it says this, and I read that one. You have to show you look for every damn thing on the subject, and you aren't biased in which ones you select. Good and bad, they all go in there. And then if you're going to select some out, you've got to have damn good reasons for doing that. So that's the spirit in which we go along. Hopefully, in the media, the serious media, like you guys, like are going to get wised up to this, and you're going to pay more attention to systematic reviews rather than each one-off study. Yeah, I am. Um, I mean, this is interesting because I have, um, you know, I, I've always said that those articles are are junk, and then I was the one thing that I kept coming up with is all these studies saying that you live longer if you drank. So this is good. This is why we wanted to have you on because I this is the one thing I was holding on to. I'm like, okay, clearly this isn't true. Um, but the other question I have, though, very serious question. So if I drink a lot in the evening and have coffee the next day, I'm going to live forever because these two things cancel each other out. I believe that's 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 what one study said. <laughs> Well, I'm sure you can find one study these there days. There is one. There is one that said that, yes. Anything you want. <laughs> you can find a study that says if you drink 10 beers at night and five coffees the next morning, you, you'll be live longer. But, um, All right. but, but, but what no. Are, no. No, but no. 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 Um, and I, but I think it's important to sort of reiterate that the the sort of I, I like the the piece where it's it says you know having moderate amount to drink um, you know is is fine just don't start drinking to try and be healthier like it's not time to like start throwing back whiskey because you read a study about um, you know how that's that's supposed to help um, with your yeah. your health. So don't use it as an excuse to drink more, really. Yeah. 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 It's this when the rubber hits the road, when doctors are advising people with health problems. So, I mean, it's serious stuff. I and mean, we're having a yeah. bit of a joke and a laugh about it. Yeah. 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 I had no idea. You're, so you're, you're, um, you're, you're someone with a family history of cancer. Well, maybe then you want to be more careful. You're somebody with a, no history, family history of cancer, but a big family history of heart disease. Well, maybe 
you can't be our researchers say you can't be doing yourself too much harm if you just have one little drink you know every right. day or you know have a couple of days abstinence maybe and one or two drinks a day you may be doing yourself some good but it won't be big and there's lots of other things you can do to get that like right. good diet exercise and not just sitting around drinking scotch all day. We've been doing it wrong, Mark. We've been doing it wrong all this time. I, I, I have green smoothies every morning, maybe that. <laughs> and coffee. I don't know. I'm, I'm working yeah. on this. Um, no, that's that's good to know. I'm, I'm glad I'm glad to have you come on and, and set the record straight. Um, I, one other question I had, have you seen any of these studies compare different types of drinking? Because, I mean, there's a lot of studies – um, you know, that kind of hypothesize, oh, wine has antioxidants or whatever. But um, has there been any studies that compare, oh, you drink whiskey or you drink beer or you drink, you know, rum and Cokes? Like, have they compared th those kind of effects and, and life expectancy and things like that? Yes. And pretty much the orthodox view on this, that if forget all our criticisms of my group and other people, supposing you believe the health benefits, they apply equally to beer scotch, vodka, um, coolers, whatever you want. Um, there is some thoughts that red wine may have some magic ingredients, but I've seen um, it pointed out that you could just get the same benefits from eating red grapes. <laughs> right. or, that's, that's exactly what we said on the podcast. <laughs> yeah. The least fun part of the grapes are the skins, right? Yeah. right. Peel them off. But if you just ate the grape skins, I don't see many people doing that. But they have probably exactly the same stuff in them that would be doing us good. See, see Jamie, I, I, I read. See, the, when we were discussing this on the podcast, I was like, but basically just eat grapes. And that's that. That's what they're <laughs> saying. Grapes have Probably anti better. Yeah. <laughs> probably better for you. Probably better oh, at the end of well, the day. Well, do it for pleasure. You're going to have your scotch and do it for the, for the pleasure. And don't kid yourself. It's going to yeah. make you live longer. Yeah. That is excellent, excellent That's advice. That's a very good take home, actually. Yeah. Don't kid yourself, Mark. Yeah. All this time. <laughs> all this time. Well, um, uh, thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, um, thank you so much. Uh, for, for coming on and entertaining us <laughs> with our well, silly questions. Well, you entertained me as well, so thank you very much. Nice to yeah. see you. You both look very good looking, I have to say. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you Yeah, so no, much. it was great. And it was, it's, a, it's a departure from what we usually do, but I definitely think it's, it's, um, it's necessary to sort of uh, to open uh, the doors to different things that we've never had um, a doctor on, never had a PhD on. Most people try to avoid us. <laughs> I just don't know any better. I'm such a <laughs> no. It's true. It's true. We've we've tried before having doctors on. Savvy people out here. What well, I should have spoken to you, but anyway. <laughs> love to meet you. Have a great day. Thank you, you so well. much. You Cheers. as well. Cheers. Yeah, bye. bye. And today we've got a very special guest. Um, we have Ian Miller from Grant and Sons, uh, specifically from Glenfiddich. Um, now, Ian, you um, you're uh, the glo You are currently the global brand ambassador, but you are under your you're kind of doing your retirement uh, tour right now. If I if I understand that correctly. I think he's actually on vacation right now. <laughs> exactly. Well, that's right. <laughs> he's trying to be. He's trying to be, and then we're like, can we record a podcast? Yeah. <laughs> I'm, uh, I've got about nine days left in my role, but those nine days will be vacation, uh, apart from uh, popping into the distillery next week for a day. 
to see some visitors. So, um, well, some special visitors. <laughs> I don't just go for anyone, but I'm going into this area next week. Um, and, and then I take up my new role in the 1st of April. Um, we've got some heavy stuff going on for about nine days in the first, yeah. So what I'll basically do most of what I need to do in April within the first nine days. Well, yeah. you, you have over 45 years of experience in the uh, whiskey spirits industry that we'll, we'll be covering in this podcast from start to finish. Is that how it's going to work, uh, Jamie? Yeah. <laughs> well, I think if there's, I feel like if there's like a job or any job that we have a question about, Ian's the person that we should probably ask because he, it seems like you've sort of done like the whole gamut from on the floor um, up to the global brand ambassador. So it seems like uh, if, if we have any questions that no one else could answer... Maybe we could get Ian to do that. Go for it. <laughs> <laughs> well, tell us, tell us about your uh, new role. What's, what's your new role going to be for uh, Grant & Sons? It's uh, like a specialist in prestige whiskies. So prestige whiskies specialist will be the job title. It's a part-time role. I'm filling like two and a half days a week or the equivalent of two and a half days a week in any given year. Um, I can't see us getting to that <coughs> with emails coming in, but that's 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 what we're going to eventually move over to. <coughs> and um, basically, we will continue to support our ambassadors with knowledge, information, and training. Um, we'll also be developing the visitor centre um, at um, at Glenfiddich and Bob Any. Um, but, but I'll be hosting a lot of what we call ultra high net worth customers who are wanting to buy whiskies between £400 and £100,000, or indeed anybody who wants to buy casks of whiskey from 91, 92, 93, <clears throat> and, and also people who are interested in buying whiskies 30, 40, 50, or some of our vintages. Um, so really looking after uh, customers who, are, who have money to buy really expensive outlandish whiskies. Well, I don't think that Jamie and me. are. Yeah, I was gonna say we're we're not on that list. We're, uh... <laughs> Damn it! You can come and look. <laughs> yeah, you can smell. You can smell some of it, but that's it. <laughs> um, so that sounds kind of like a, a super. That's a well. It sounds like a fun role. Not that being the global brand ambassador wasn't a fun role. This seems uh, like a, almost extra fun in that I'm I'm hopeful for you that. Not only will you be selling these casks, but you'll also be sampling them as well. Yeah, I'm quite happy just to, to let other people sample it. I mean, I've tasted that stuff probably oh. a zillion times over. And, and the, the only thing that makes a whiskey special is, is um, the, the rare occasions that you actually try it. So if you're going to read a whiskey and you're drinking mm -hmm. it every day, you're just going to take it for granted. So I, I, don't, I don't do that. Mm -hmm. And I quite like to drive home and sometimes not drink, um, uh, <laughs> despite my so, so, so I'm quite happy to. I get a lot of joy out of um, seeing people enjoying a thirty or a forty or a fifty, and going, oh, "Wow, you know, it, that's great, and that's enough for me. I, I don't have to, to sample it." Clearly, sometimes we get a new one, and it's yeah, we'll, we'll we'll taste it to make sure it matches what we see on the on the tasting notes, because sometimes, um, you know, tasting notes are written by crazy people in marketing who don't have windows in their offices. But, you know, so, so it, I, I like to taste sometimes just to make sure that the, the nosing and tasting notes are, are, are what it says on the paper. But I, I, don't, I don't drink a lot of, um, a lot of vintage whiskey. So then you're I, actually the uh, perfect person for this job, probably. Yeah, yeah, because <laughs> I'm happy to say no. That's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, I was going to say. But sometimes it's also polite and expected that you drink along with your your companions. So, and you know, so you, you basically read you read the occasion. You probably know in advance. And my company's very good. You know, if if I need to get a taxi home, I was twenty miles. They'll they'll foot the bill for that quite happily because they 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 leave it up to you to decide on whether you need to drink with people or whether you don't. So it's 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 very flexible and, and very supportive. And the company's very supportive of what needs to be done. So what are so you've been you know you've been in this business for a long time and uh, you know ha- having seen you uh, you know doing interviews and, and doing presentations you're you're always having a good time uh, at whiskey events and everything else and and I also hear that you you play some pranks from time to time um, would you like to reveal one of your favorite pranks to us Is something that you've you've been able to uh, do at a whiskey event or, or just around uh, the distillery we we did an event um, at the Dungie Dell in Omaha Nebraska. And we'd, okay, we had 13 whiskies. Now, here's the thing. You can do six whiskies at 50 mils a shot, or you can do 30, 30, 13, or 13 to 15 different whiskies at 10 mils a shot or 5 mils a shot. It doesn't take a lot to get a good taste of a whiskey. So we did 13 whiskies, but they were much smaller than you'd usually have. However, the 10th one wasn't a whiskey. It was a rum. <laughs> we, we, didn't, we didn't tell these people. And... You could tell in their faces that they weren't convinced it was whiskey, but none of them, none of them had the, none of them was brave enough to actually say this isn't a whiskey, this is something. Else. <laughs> so they all they just they just said nothing because no one was willing to take that bold step forward and say this is a rum. Anyway, uh, so I eventually had to say this is the rum that we use to season the cask for that twenty-one year old, sixty-one uh, percent, three years old, and they went, oh man. <laughs> I wanted to say that, but but the moment was gone. I said, "Look, if you're not brave enough to step forward and say it, then you can't take you can't you you, you can't say it afterwards. That's too late." So that was um, <laughs> we 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 like it the Dundee Dale because these guys um, they put themselves forward as those kind of real experts. So it was, it was really neat to pull that one on them. But we've, 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 yeah, if you can't have fun with the audience, you have to do it in a kind way. You can't be you know. So we having fun's um, part of part part of the job. It, you cannot um, have a, a tasting where you're simply talking to people. You need to involve them, make it a discussion. So, and, and when you make it a discussion, it breaks down the barriers. They feel free to ask all these great questions, and they have a great time. But if I just talk to people, you just mind them the boring stuff, then they're just going to walk away and never come back to tasting again. So we try to make our tastings a discussion, and having a bit of fun is also, also good. Is um is there anything you're going to miss sort of the most about uh, being the global brand ambassador? Is there anything where you're like, ah, oh, I'm sad that's not gonna be part of my job anymore? Well, I'm so gonna miss standing in long queues at the airport. I'm sure you are. <laughs> I'm still gonna miss all those flights that cancelled. I'm still gonna miss that. No, I'm. <laughs> Yeah, um, I guess the interaction with the, the different cultures you get, the variety you get, the different cultures you see, the different foods you get to 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 to, to taste and so on, um, that's what you'll miss, the variety. And I guess I'm going to be doing a part-time job. Most of it will be at the distillery itself. There will be the occasional need mm-hmm. to go out and see people around the world or whatever. Um, but, it, you know, the, the traveling has come to an end. I'll miss that. Because I love seeing other cultures, I love traveling to other com- countries, mm-hmm. and interacting with different audiences. So that's the bit I'll miss. Yeah. Um, 
is it is uh i was just sorry i just totally lost my train of thought right there um do, do, do. oh yeah i wanted to ask you uh we me and mark actually had the pleasure of hanging out with you a little bit when you last time you were in toronto at uh we were at allen's um yeah. And that remains a night for me that was very special. And we got to drink some very special things. Um, and is there sort of a, a night like that, like your version, uh, where you're sort of like, wow, I, I can't believe I got to, to do that or, or try that or that's something that I would sort of like never be able to do unless I was, you know, in this um, position? You see, these nights are pretty rare, um, but they're never rare. At Alan's, because every time I, I know. Out, it's like that. John, you get so excited, and he, he goes and finds those incredible bottles and he drags them out. So I, I kind of know in advance what to expect from John, and therefore it's incumbent upon me to come up with something as special to share with him, um, which I take great delight in doing. But we had John and Dora across at the distillery some five years ago, right. and um, I mean, I've, I've forgotten half of the whiskeys we have, and I'm sure that John's forgotten half of them. <laughs> well, we kind of, we kind of had to, we had to schedule an early lunch in, in order, in order that he could still walk and sit down. We, we drank a hell of a lot of old whiskeys direct from the cask, and then we took him into the, one of my special sampling rooms at the facility, and we've got um, quite a lot of uh, vintage stock. So we had two shots at it, and. Uh, I, I think he's probably forgotten more about that day than he could remember. <laughs> but what he does remember was he had a bloody good time. But any time I go to see Johnny, he is he's the number one host in the world. There's no, there's no doubt about that. And if I go to Toronto, he is the first must-visit place any time I go to Toronto because he's just a lovely guy. Yeah, I think uh, John pulled out uh, some uh, Hudson's Bay uh, uh, Scotch whiskey, which was uh, from yeah. Glenfiddich last time around, a 15-year-old. Um, I think the time before that, when you were last, in, well, four or five years ago, he was bringing out um, Glenfiddich from like 1928 or 1932 or something crazy like that. It was a Grant's blended whiskey from about 1936. There you go. And, you know, we talk about, this is quite an interesting subject, I assume this is something we talk about a lot in the whiskey industry, and that is, does whiskey change in the bottle? The chemistry experts would tell you no, but your taste buds tell you, well, actually, it must be because there's no way a blend tasted as good as that back then, because if it did, all the bottles would be finished. <laughs> <laughs> it's, I mean, the bottle, was just, this whiskey was absolutely stunning. Um, there, there was three, I think three, not, not, not PI guys, bloggers or something, at the same event, and, and someone wrote an article about the, the whiskey, and he himself said this this whiskey was absolutely outstanding. It was a blend, and it would stand up against any malt whiskey that we currently have. And so we, we think there's there's something happening in the bottle over time. We can't explain it logically. There's 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 a couple of reasons what it could be. You know, corks could be lying out, you know, picking up wild yeasts, and you've got very sugary substance in there, the sherry whiskies that we had back then. So if you've got a source of yeast and a source of sugar, then it's conceivable that something's happened in the bottle over time. Um, but we take greater care now. Everything's kind of sealed inside, you know, inside buildings and so on. But it is, it is, it is conceivable that something did happen back then with the way that we actually handled foodstuffs and, and, and bottling <laughs> whiskies. 
So um, it's a very interesting subject, and, and some of the, those old whiskies uh, are just tremendous, just tremendous. So for me, something something happens in the bottle. I haven't got um, I haven't got a reason set out in tablets of stone yet, but we're actively working on it, trying to figure out why um, why whiskey seems to improve over 10, 20, 30, 40 years in the bottle. Yeah. When we continue as an industry, we say, no, nothing happens. Once it's in the bottle, it's still, nothing can happen, but yeah. Yeah, that's so interesting because you hear it over and over again. And we've done, you know, we did a trip down to Kentucky where essentially we heard the exact same sort of thing over and over again, like nothing happens. It's, you know, it's going to stay the same no matter what. So that's a, that's a new, that's a new one. Yeah. <laughs> I would probably say that probably whiskey is a way to bottle now. It's less likely that something can happen, but mm -hmm. historically, um, when corks were, were kind of lying out, you got wild yeast in the air, you've got heavily shedded whiskies, which is you've got a source of sugar and you've got a yeast source there right. in the bottle, then, then conceivably something could happen. Um, it, I know that um, we've certainly been pushing the Scots Whiskey Research Institute to look into it. Um, but again, you know, they're boffins and chemists and uh, they seem to be defending the position that we've always had in the industry and that is that once mm -hmm. it's in a bottle, it doesn't change. Right. But, oh, um, yeah, the chemists have all the machines. They're like, per one per billion parts, they know it's identical. And then you're like, well, that's not everything. You know, one to billions, we can, we can still sense things. We can still tell uh, the difference between uh, at, a, at a very sensitive level at any rate. But it's, it's how to retroanalyze. So you've got a whiskey there, it was bought 30, 40, 50 years ago. How do you retroanalyze? Uh, and that's a toughie. Because um, all you've got is, is what the whiskey's like now. Yeah. You know? Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. so you need a sample of what it was like then and what it's like right. now. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about the, yeah, Glenfiddich uh, just released a product uh, called Glenfiddich Original Single Malt. And, um, so tell us a little bit about the controversy behind the naming of this and what kind of what that, that naming means to you. Uh, it wasn't really controversial. There's a few companies wondered why we felt that we were able to call it original. So we, we told them that um, we give them information. We said um, here's clear evidence that uh, we uh, were the first company to actively market Singapore outside of Scotland. And that was in 1963 in New York. So we showed them the, the, the pamphlets, the leaflets, um, which talked about what single malt was versus blended whiskey. And these pamphlets were readily available and in circulation in the States in 61, 62, 63. And we also showed them um, that uh, sales of Glenfiddich took off around the world. So we, you know, we've got graphs from 62, 63, 64, which shows our, our, our single malt taken off. So uh, there's a lot of companies saying, yeah, but you weren't the original. I said, yeah, but we're not saying the original. We're, this original is based on the original recipe that we had in 1963 to back up the, the, the activation of a marketing campaign to establish our whiskey as a single malt and not a blend. So uh, given that information, they, they withdrew their complaint, their objection, and, and we move on as an industry. But yeah, there was a few there's a few heads raised when they said, Glenfiddich, 1887, how can it be the original? But we never said it was. We said we were the original uh, company to kick off. So we, we're saying we gave Singapore the biggest push it's ever had in its life when we started to actively market Singapore outside of the UK. 
Right. And so, you know, for, for listeners, so single malt scotch has, you know, has a long history, but doesn't necessarily have a long, uh, like Johnny Walker really brought a blended whiskey. And so blended scotch was a big yeah. seller for, for, for centuries. Um, yeah. and I mean, well, single malt's been around for a long time, Mike. Single malt's been around for a long time, but never as a commercially produced product. It's been there, you know, people of um, hotels, etc., have put in orders for give me three cases of Tavsker or whatever, and, and they've got that. Yeah. Um, but yeah. it's never been bottled commercially. And after the Second World War, blended was king. Everybody went for blended because you know, blended whiskey was pretty damn good. And there wasn't really a financial global recovery until the mid-1950s. In the late 1950s, we, you know, we were already putting single malt into northeast of Scotland, and it was a small market. Uh, and uh, we were approached by companies south of the border and in America for single malt. And, and we gave them it thinking that nothing would happen because they didn't really understand or couldn't understand the difference between single malt and blended. However, uh, they came back with more orders. And it got to the point in 62, 63, where we had to have a serious discussion around whether we should launch a commercially bottled single malt. And we decided that, yes, we would do that. But along with that, there had to be some sort of explanation uh, around what a single malt was. And that's when we started to actively market single malt um, to the masses, because basically they, they needed to understand what single malt was and why they might have to pay a little bit more money from it over and above what you would normally pay for a blend. Was a single malt legally defined in Scotland at the time? Like, did it have a legal definition, or was it one that in the no, industry? No, no, there wasn't. There wasn't any legal definition. I mean, it was just called straight malt. That's what we called it. it had no age statement, oddly enough. Right. Uh, there's a lot probably see right now around age statement, but it had no age statement. It was around five, six years old, um, and it was straight malt. And then. Um, I think we were selling a lot of eight-year-old blended in the States, so I think about 64, we started to put an eight-year-old on the statement. In 67, we started to put the stag onto the label as well. So you can you can actually see through the different years how the label has changed uh, and how we were still very heavily promoting single malt. So single malt appears first on one of our labels in 1964. And so it's got eight-year-old blend fitted 1964, well, not 1964, eight-year-old single malt um, uh, from Glen Fittick. And that was 1964, and that was for the U.S. market. Right, right. Very cool, very cool. And um, so now you're you're basically doing a tour of everywhere you've been, uh, kind of like a retirement tour as your brand ambassadorship. Because I, I keep seeing on on your Twitter and, and Facebook and all that, you're uh, you're doing a lot of uh, last. Uh, last uh kind of tours through uh parts of the world uh how are you enjoying that that must be fantastic that must be such a great experience for you um well i had to close off a few things that were in the diary for, for this year the ends in las vegas we also launched a, a 25 year old um blended malt um, called anisac um in um where were we houston yeah yeah uh, and I went to see some, some buddies. I've done a lot of work in Dallas over the many, many years. Uh, and um, I went to see uh, good friends there just to wish them goodbye. And but also we did one last event um, for the, the Dallas team. So it's, it's been nice to be able to do that. But clearly there has to be a business reason for, for going out there first and foremost. And, and that's what we're doing. So on, on the back of business visits, we're taking the opportunity to say, 
bye-bye to quite a lot of people who have supported us over the years. Oh, amazing, amazing. Um, what, what's been changing the most in the industry in, the, in, in your time here? I mean, I know the um, and, you know, age statements are the big thing right now, but has there been any other um, you know, um, big changes that you've seen over the years, whether it's you know, to do with the casks or the way whiskey's distilled or any other kind of uh, changes over the years? Um, massive change in terms of um, uh, production, so um, new ways of mashing. So if you look at the old traditional mash tun, cast iron, with the old raker system, then we moved into louter, louter gear mash tuns, um, which were built initially by the Germans, uh, so German technology, and, and that has been taken over by a new, uh, well, a new type of mashing. So when I say mashing, sugar extraction, um, it's uh, called a Steinecker. So the, the traditional mash tun, then you had the louter mash tun, and now you have the Steinecker, each slightly more efficient at removing uh, all of the sugar from the malted barley. In fermentation, there's been a move over to um, stainless steel away from wood, and those stainless steel are of um, temperature-controlled jackets, so that you can have them in, you can have them outside in the winter, you can water them up, but you can you can actually control the temperature, you can control the rise in temperature, and therefore you can prevent the the, the sugar from going through the, the temperature ceiling of, of 32, 33 degrees Celsius which slows down, well, it actually kills off the, the yeast cells. So yeast cells are living longer because we're keeping our, our, our fermenters cooler. And because the yeast cells are living longer, we're getting better conversion and higher alcohols um, from our, our fermentation. So that's, that's been a massive boost to the whiskey industry. And then the distillation, there hasn't really much changed there because it's copper and it always will be copper. There are different ways in, in of of reducing our, uh, our footprint, our energy footprint. So we're all looking at different ways. We've always been direct fired with um, gas burners um, under the, the copper stills. Mm-hmm. Uh, on on wash distillation, certainly in one still house, we've, we've gone for um, we've gone for a, a different type of, which is saving us something like 25% on energy. Um, so we've also <laughs> just put in a plant last year which uses all the pot ale from our first distillation and all the draft, the draft cereal left over from mashing, we feed it into this um, big pot which has a, a top on it. It creates gas and the gas we convert into electricity. So all the electricity we have on our site for running Glenfiddich, Barbeni, Kininvi is created on site and the excess is exported off site onto the national grid. So there's been massive changes and a huge injection in, in technology to combat the increasing price of, of energy in, in Europe and in particular in the UK. So energy about six, seven, eight years ago actually doubled in, in, in its cost and it's a massive cost for the whiskey industry. So we're all trying to find new ways of actually reducing our energy footprint. So production, um, massive, massive change uh, and computerization everywhere. So computers uh, are more able to control in a consistent way how we actually extract um, sugar from the mashing process. And we use them to control different bits and pieces as well in, in, in the plant. So new technology has reduced the cost to produce one litre massively. You know, the consumers don't really um, think about this too much, but there's two ways you can actually bring profit to a company. You can sell your whiskey for more, or you can make it for less. So in production, our contribution to the profit of the company is to produce whiskey for less. 
And then the marketing side, it's, it's up to us to increase the perceived value of the product so we can sell it for more. So we, we work in tandem. Well, I have a I have kind of a, a random question, uh, which is um, sometimes we have a, a, maybe a, a dram while we're recording the podcast. Sometimes, um, <laughs> just kidding, all the time. And uh, I'm curious to know, Ian, what's your go-to open bottle right now that you're sort of enjoying the most? Um, my current open bottle is a bottle of Motlach from 1995. Oh, that's nice. Oh, that sounds rare. <laughs> <laughs> it's not that rare. Ah, well, it's rare here. I'm just getting it out of the cupboard. <laughs> <laughs> now, how, how many years would that uh, bottle be of aged for from 1995? Uh, 18. 18 years. Yeah. It's more like 18 from 1995. Yep. It's one of my own productions. Okay, because you used to work at Mortlock. Well, I was manager. I didn't work there. <laughs> oh, yeah. I I'm only saying that before somebody else does. <laughs> it's, um, this one, um, we got this down in London. It is from Old Malt Cask. 18 years old, and it is 50, yeah, over 50% alcohol by volume. Oh, that sounds lovely. I'm drinking uh, some uh, Belvini single barrel, 12-year-old uh I hear, which I, you know, your 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 sister uh, distillery. So I feel that was, uh, was appropriate. Well, remember, twelve years ago, I was distillery manager of Bloodlock. So amazing. Thank you, one of my babies. Oh, anyway, that's amazing. I'm, I'm just having a, a little eighteen-year-old um, bottle. Your good health. <laughs> good, <laughs> good health. Cheers. Cheers. Um, and I have the uh, Glenfiddich fifteen right now. Ah. Yeah. See, if I had, uh, if I had to say that. Within our own distilleries, you know, what's your, what's your favourite? It'd be Glen 15. It's my, it would be my go-to. It's such a tremendous whiskey. And you're, uh, you're talking about the Solaris Cast uh, 15. Yep. Yeah, that's the one that um, sort of everyone's sweetheart whiskey. Yeah, it is. A, it's a cracking whiskey. But if you go across the border into the states, they've got a new bourbon bar reserve. Um, 14 years old, uh, 49 bucks. Um, I actually took three bottles to Fredericton <laughs> in, in November last year. That's a couple of days after I saw you guys up at Allen's. Uh, and um, I think we drank them all. Yeah, pretty sure we did. <laughs> Only available in the US, but beautiful bottle, blue label, fantastic. Great whiskey, really sweet, stunning. No, I guess if anybody is interested in buying a cask of 91 or 92, come see Yeah, I'll me. be right there. I'll be right there. I'm on it. <laughs> And then, of course, Glenfiddich Gallery. If you go to glenfiddichgallery.com, uh, you can you can see special bottles of whiskey, which range between £400 and £100,000. But all you need is a UK address, because we can't export whiskey abroad. And if anybody uh, from your lovely country is visiting Scotland, you send them up to Glenfiddich. Ask, drop me a mail, and um, I'll be happy to um, enjoy your company. Yes, uh, that's a great wonderful. point. Uh, Glenfiddich Distillery is a wonderful, wonderful distillery to uh, to visit. Um, I, I went there, and I think in 2011, 2012. I don't know. I, can't, I can't remember. I kept getting in trouble a lot. Is all I remember. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we're there with Sam, with Sam Simon uh, from uh, from the Belvini side of the house, and we just kept getting in trouble everywhere we went. <laughs> <sighs> Not a surprise. Um, 
Ian Miller is on Twitter at Distiller, Distiller Miller. Miller. That's Miller oh, with, with an, an A. A-R. Yes. yes. Distiller okay. Miller. Um, and you can follow his exploits on uh, Twitter. Thanks for coming on again, Ian. Jimmy, Mike, thank you. Thank you so much, man. I appreciate you. it. We'll see you next time. Cheers. Thank you. Bye next time. Good time.